This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43. Genesis 43, we'll be looking at uh, the chapter, verses 1 through 34 this evening. Hear the Word of God. Now, the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, Is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? When we told him, what we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know, he would say, bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If if I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. We had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. So the men took this present, and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They rose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Bring the men into the house, and slaughter an animal, and make ready, for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought to Joseph's house, and they said, It's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we're brought in, so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food, and when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we brought it again with us, and we brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. When the man had brought the men into Joseph's house and given them water and had washed their feet, when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the present for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. 
When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the presents, a present they had had with them, and bowed down to with to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, "Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive?" They said, "Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive." And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. And said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep. He entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. They served him by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them, Uh, with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. Give thanks to the Lord. For his word. Let's pray. Our God, as we read this portion tonight, we read your word, your truth. And Father, in this amazing chapter, we give thanks to you for grace, for mercy, for compassion that you've shown to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Most of us probably would think of envy and covetousness as being the same thing. Well, Kent Hughes, in his sermons on Genesis, cites uh, Christian philosopher Cornelius Plantica, Jr., uh, to the contrary. Plantica writes, Envy is a nastier sin than mere covetousness. What an envier wants is not, first of all, what another has. What an envier wants is for another not to have it. To envy is to resent somebody else's good so much that one is tempted to destroy it. The coveter has empty hands and wants to fill them with somebody else's goods. The envier has empty hands and therefore wants to empty the hands of the envied. Envy, moreover, carries overtones of personal resentment. An envier resents not only somebody else's blessing, but also the one who has been blessed. Now, if his distinction between envy and covetousness holds, then we would have to say it was envy and not coveting that drove Joseph's brothers to do to Joseph what they did. After all, they didn't want Joseph's coat for themselves. We read that they tore it up. They bloodied it before they presented it. To their father Jacob. Now they resented Joseph's having the coat, uh, and they also resented Joseph himself. And of course, the evidence of that was while they not only took the coat from him and destroyed the coat, but while they also took Joseph and threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery into a far country, only after first having considered murdering Joseph. So envy is a vicious sin, something deeply rooted in our fallen. And that's why, as God is at work in Joseph's life and at work in his brother's life, 
this envy, this resentment had to be dealt with. It had to be eradicated. Uh, because this was the seedbed of the nation of Israel. I think it's no mistake that Jacob is referred to more than once in this chapter as Israel. Because it was these who would eventually go down to Egypt and be there and become a great nation and come out uh, by the Lord's power under Moses' leadership. God was at work in Joseph and had been working in him. But God was also at work in Joseph's brothers. And so Joseph sees them, and he's dealing with them here, but before he reveals himself to him. And remember, the years have passed. Joseph looks very different. His brothers would would expect to find Joseph, least of all places, in this position of power over Egypt. And so it's no wonder that they don't recognize him. Uh, He recognized them. His brothers were older. Their appearance probably had not changed very much. And the number uh, as well, and plus he could hear them speaking Hebrew, though they didn't know he could understand them. He recognized them. He knew where they were. But before he revealed himself, he needed to know something about his brothers. He needed to know what their hearts were like. Were they the st- the still the same hateful, envious men that they once had been? If that's the case, maybe it would be better they never know who this man was who was selling them grain. He wanted to know if they were the same men who could treat him so callously. And particularly here, he's curious about the next best thing. How would they treat Benjamin? They're now their youngest brother, now that Joseph was out of the picture, and Benjamin also the other son of Jacob's beloved wife, Rachel. How would they treat him? How would, if pressed, they uh, respond? Would they sacrifice Benjamin to secure their own good? Joseph wants to know. And so as we look at this passage, we see that it divides into basically two scenes. It pretty much divides in half. The first part of the chapter has to do with the brothers and their father Jacob, or Israel, in Canaan. And then in in verses 16 through the end of the chapter has to do with the brothers and Joseph in Egypt. Well, let's look first of all then at the brothers and Jacob uh, in Canaan. We read in verse 1, the famine was severe in the land. As Joseph had dreamed, uh, the famine wasn't getting better. They had gone to Egypt. They had gotten food. They had come back. Um, they reported on their journey. Uh, Jacob's against it. You know, lost Joseph. Man, you want to take Benjamin? I'm not sending him. The end of chapter 42. He said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. The only one you still see a little of that favoritist attitude on Jacob's part. The other brothers are thinking, <laughs> aren't we here? Aren't we your sons also? What does he mean? The only son of Rachel, his beloved wife. Not the son of, sons of Leah, not the sons of the concubines, but the son of Rachel. He is the only one left. If harm should happen to him on the journey that you were to make, you would bring my gray hairs down with sorrow to Sheol. Now, the famine hasn't gotten better. Things are are still bad. And verse 2, when they'd eaten the grain they'd brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food. When Judah reminds him of the problem. Now, Judah rises to the fore here. We see that Judah vouches in verses 1 through 10 for Benjamin's safety. Remarkable. What Benjamin says, uh, the man solemnly warned us, you won't see my face unless your brother is with us. If you just send him down... 
We'll get the food. If you will not send him, we can't go down. The man said, you should not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel raises the question, why would you tell him you had a younger brother? And Judah's got a point. He said, well, the man asked us about our family. Our father's alive. Yeah, we have a younger brother. How do we know he's going to say, bring him with you? And we just answered his questions. We didn't know he's going to want our brother to come down here with us. What could we say? And then Judah, verse 8, uh, almost seems to pull his father aside and say, look, you know, if we're going to get the grain, if we're going to survive this famine, we've got to go back to Egypt. And the only way this is going to happen is if Benjamin goes with us. And so send the boy, we will go uh, so we can survive, and I will be a pledge of his safety. Basically, Judah says, I pledge my life for his, and if anything does happen to him, the blame, the guilt will be on me for the rest of my life. Why is that remarkable? Well, turn back over to chapter 37. In chapter 37, Joseph comes along with his coat of many colors to come check on his brothers. And the brothers see him coming. Here comes this dreamer. And so they uh, say, let's kill him. Let's throw him into a pit. Well, they don't kill him. Reuben says, okay, let's throw him into the pit here, uh, thinking uh, maybe I can come back and save his life later. And so Reuben's thinking of a way to get him out. You know, this is ridiculous. We can't kill our brother much as we despise him. And so they throw him in the pit, and then as we saw verse 25, they sit down and eat a meal while Joseph's in the pit, you know, hollering for his brothers. They look at, they're looking up, they saw a caravan. This is uh, chapter 37, verse 25. A caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. He is our brother. Let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. It was Judah's idea. It was Judah's prompting that led the brothers to do what they did. And so they pulled Joseph out of the pit, lifting his hopes, only to sell him to the Ishmaelites for the price of a slave. And they took Joseph to Egypt. It was Judah who inspired the plan to sell Joseph into slavery. Let's not kill him. It'd be cruel. Besides, we can get some money out of him if we sell him into slavery. And so it's rather striking that it's Judah here who pledges his life for Benjamin's safety. Quite a turnaround. And from this point, Judah really does uh, sort of rise to the ascendancy. Uh, Reuben uh, had slept with his father's concubine. Simeon and Levi had gone and slaughtered the, the family of Shechem after the incident with Dinah, and Judah is the next in line. And uh, Judah really rises to the occasion and takes the leadership. So Judah vouches for Benjamin's safety. Jacob then agrees to Benjamin's departure, uh, says, if it must be so, do it, but let's uh, put together a present to take down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. In light of what we just read in 37, great irony here. The gift they were taking to Egypt was what the Midianite traders were taking to Egypt. And uh, they do that, and we'll return the money. Uh, and then verse 13, take also your brother and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty, El Shaddai, uh, the name by which the Lord reveals himself at one point to Abraham uh, back in 17, Grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. Of course, Simeon, still there in, in Egypt. As for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am 
bereave. And so you get a sense both of Jacob's hope, but also of resignation. And he's facing the prospect he's going to lose Benjamin too, that they're going to come back and Benjamin this time will not be with them. And so they do. And then verse 15 we read that they took everything and they went on down to Egypt. Well, then that brings us to the second scene in this passage. That has to do with the brothers and Joseph now in Egypt. Uh, verse 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin, uh, he tells his steward, his steward, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal, and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. At noon. And so the steward does that. He takes care of the men. He meets them. And you'll notice that uh, Joseph's brothers are afraid. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they immediately, as they did in the previous chapter, start speculating why. You know, in, in, in chapter 42, they were saying, God's not going to let us get away. This is happening, the money back in the sack and all of this, because God is not going to let us escape judgment. So because of what we did to our brother, which reveals to us that they are convicted about what happened so many years before, what they did to Joseph. And here again, there's this, this guilty conscience that's pricked by these events and so they, they, they are afraid. It's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that were brought up. So he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkey. This whole thing is, is spooky to them. Here they're worried they're going to be held accountable for the money. And they saw the money as being God's, God's dealing with them, as 42 tells us. So they went up and then they figured the best defense is a good offense. And they immediately go to the steward and say, look, this money was in our sacks. We don't know how it got there. Uh, we tried to pay. Well, we brought that money back with us, and we brought more money because we need to buy more grain, but we're bringing the money back. want to return the money to you. And the steward says, basically, you know, God put it there, which is a remarkable statement himself. Uh, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Now, whether the steward was complicit in what happened or, or doesn't really know, uh, I got the money. You know, your account is, is paid in full. Maybe Joseph put the money back in. Uh, we don't know. But he says, I've got your money. You're good. And they bring Simeon back out to them. They're reunited with him. And then verse 24, they uh, went to Joseph's house, uh, washed, prepared, prepared the present for Joseph's arrival. Now, they're afraid because they knew that some Egyptians had dungeons in their house. All kinds of stories about the Egyptians. In some cases, that was true. Uh, they could not imagine why of all the people coming to Egypt to buy food, all of the people from foreign lands who had converged upon Egypt, they should be singled out for either this honor, on the one hand, or more likely, this terror. They think this has to do with the money. There's some problem here. We are going to catch it. Well, verse 26, Joseph came home. They brought into the house uh, to him the present that they had with them. And once again fulfilled Joseph's dream by bowing down and absolutely prostrating themselves on the ground before Joseph. And Joseph's interest in the family. Is your father well? Is he still alive? And yes, he is. Uh, he's, he's still alive. They bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And at this point, Joseph looks up and he realizes who Benjamin is. Now, Benjamin, obviously, has grown a great deal since Joseph has seen him. It's amazing how that can happen. Um, I recall one time we were coming back from General Assembly in Charlotte, and we stopped by the town in South Carolina where we used to live, where I was an assistant pastor, and ate at Whiteford's uh, Hamburgers, their local hamburger place. Actually ran into a family in the church that we knew. 
and I was speaking to her, speaking to her daughter, and a young man who was there with her, I kind of assumed was her boyfriend, so I introduced myself. He said, I said, I'm Alan Johnson. He said, yeah, I know. And I looked at him, and I realized it was little Scott. But it wasn't little Scott. Scott was big. Well, that's kind of the thing probably that had happened here with, with Benjamin. Benjamin was not quite the same. When he realized he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? He's supposed to confirm this. Uh, God be gracious to you, my son. And it really is too much for Joseph. He, he realizes that he just he can't stand it. He's about to cry. So he quickly leaves the room uh, and sought a place to weep, went to his room, and just wept. I mean, this is the emotion of seeing his little brother again and just that he's seeing and talking to his brothers again after all of these years. It's, it's just too much. And he, he, he's there, he washes his face, and he comes out and uh, controlling himself, the text says. They serve the food. And the, we, we're told of the, the careful segregation that took place in this, in this meal. Joseph, because of his position, is dining by himself. And the Egyptians, who ate with him by themselves, and the Hebrews, by default, are eating by themselves, because the Egyptians don't eat with the Hebrews, because that would be, of course, an abomination to the Egyptians. Uh, and they sat before him. Now, not only is there the segregation, which might be expected, what was shocking, and in fact the word is amazing to these brothers, is that they are seated by age. They are seated in birth order. We read, they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement that they were seated in that order. How would he know? Well, in some cases it might be obvious, but uh, maybe between one or two of them it would be a close call. Uh, but there they were. Because you recall, they were the children of four different mothers, so some of them were born pretty close together. Uh, but they were born according to birth, or, or seated by birth order, the oldest to the youngest, and that they're amazed. And then portions are served, taken to Joseph, from, from Joseph's table, to everyone. However, Benjamin has the favoritism heaped high. Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And just as they ate and were merry, made merry uh, with Joseph. Well, there's more that happens there. We're going to leave it at that for tonight. But basically, for Joseph's brothers, this was a very good day. A lot of good things were happening here. A lot of encouraging things that Joseph saw, and some things Joseph didn't see, like Judas stepping up and putting his life on the line for his little brother Benjamin. Joseph didn't see that. We do. We're privy to that. But Joseph didn't see what happened there. But basically, it was, it was a good day for them, a good uh, passage, a good chapter. One writer puts it this way. He says, in this chapter, the brothers promised to take the blame for any catastrophe. They showed responsibility. They acknowledged their culpability and made restitution for the money in their sacks, honesty. They retrieved their brother from prison in Egypt, unity. They brought back together Simeon. They didn't leave him there. They got back with him. They recognized that God was at work in their midst, uh, belief, back to 42, and they rejoiced in their provisions, even when a brother was receiving more than they were. Gratitude. God was at work, 
mercy. In fact, the term is repeated here. May God Almighty grant you mercy. God be gracious to you, my son. The word is found in these places. But mercy was abounding. And hearts were being changed. Well, as we look at this chapter, it's easy to identify with Joseph. But we're actually meant to identify with the brothers in this chapter. Joseph is almost secondary in this chapter. In fact, this one and the chapter before, the emphasis is really on the brothers. And I think that's right, because you and I are much more like these brothers than we are Joseph. You see, we come hungry in a spiritual famine, under conviction of sin in our conscience to the only one who can feed us, the only one who can help us. We come to him because he is the ruler. We come to him in fear. And Jesus, like Joseph here, receives us with a grace and a graciousness that is far beyond what we deserve and that is far beyond our comprehension. A grace, a graciousness, and a compassion that truly is baffling and a little scary but ultimately very good. Let's pray. Our Father, we recognize that um, that we have sinned and sinned badly, and we are guilty. Uh, and even so, Lord, we are like Joseph's brother sometimes. We're tempted when something happens to think, well, is it something I did? Is God getting me for something that happened yesterday or last week or last year or 20 years ago? But Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious and loving, and compassionate God. We thank you that you are El Shaddai, you are God Almighty, and you do show mercy to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you, Father, that when we come to Christ in our sins, with all of our guilt, with all the things that we regret, that he receives us graciously, and he feeds us abundantly, and even weeps over us. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for grace. Thank you for salvation. Thank you that it is his blood, and not ours. We pray in his name.